Guy here with a quick message before we get on with the pod. As a thank you to our most dedicated and loyal viewers and listeners to Blood Red, we're inviting you to join our Blood Red Club. By joining, you'll get access to insider transfer content as well as interviews with former favourites and those connected at Anfield. All you need to do is head to bloodredpodcast.co.uk, enter your email address and our exclusive content will head to your inbox. That's bloodredpodcast.co.uk. Thanks. Now on with the show. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. The Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Thanks for joining us. Transfer chases, tactical tweaks, contractual conundrums. We'll be getting into all of that today as we bring you a Q&A special. We've asked for your questions across our digital channels. We've plenty to go out. We're also live on YouTube at the time of recording, so we'll answer any extra questions that come our way. To provide the answers, we have Theo Squires, Matt Addison, and he's been to Bucharest twice. I'm not sure if that was since he was last on the pod or not. Our chief Liverpool writer, Ian Doyle. <laughs> Doyle, how are you? Okay. In the same year, I'd like to hasten to add. 2010, went twice in, to Bucharest. It's, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, happy days. Right, let's uh, let's let's get straight into the uh, Q&A then today. Yeah, first question we've got comes from Twitter from our friend Sam Williams, who says, and I'll come to you, Doily, with this, actually, because uh, I know you wrote something about this over the course of the weekend. Is it time Liverpool experiment with the formation a bit, maybe three at the back, or he suggests 4-2-3-1 a bit more permanently, just something to mix it up against those sides who shut up shop and uh, sit really deep? Well, there are a couple of strands to this, aren't there? I mean, in terms of three at the back, that's not going to happen. Uh, I think Jurgen Klopp has made him, he's made it quite clear that he doesn't like that formation. He was speaking, wasn't he, about Germany and the way that they've been playing. It was before the game against Hungary, which they, they got the point that they needed to, to get through and play England tomorrow. Um, but he was basically said, look, I don't like it. Don't like three at the back. It's not, I don't like that system. And I had a little bit of a little bit of research and saw that he'd only actually played it twice as Liverpool manager. Uh, both times they won. Well, but both times because there was either an awful lot of injuries or he required a lot of a lot of rotation. I mean, the last time wasn't on the, was far back as uh, against Brighton. Uh, what was it, 2017, where they won five one and you had Juan Alderman and Emre Chan playing at cent- <laughs> two of the centre half along with Lovren and Clavin was on the bench, but he wasn't well, so he was only he was literally just there to well, probably make everybody else sick, to be honest. But um, <laughs> it's, but in terms of overall, I think. Got to bear in mind what Pep Linder said last season. He said when they signed Diogo Jota and they signed Thiago, he was asked about, you know, why why did they do these kind of deals? And Jurgen Klopp echoed his sentiments. But Linders went on and said that, you know, we want a bit more tactical flexibility. We want a bit of element of surprise. Look, we know that we've been this top team for the last couple of years, and obviously it's a team that everybody you're shooting at to try and try and get the better of. So teams know the ins and outs of Liverpool probably more so than any other team during that period. So. Jota offered something different. Thiago offered something certainly different. And I think they have kind of fiddled a little bit with the formation, not as much as they could have done last season, predominantly because of all the injuries to the centre-backs. <laughs> you know, I know I've not been on the pod for a while, but here, we, here I am talking about that again. But, you know, hopefully that'll be sorted next season. There was a couple of games. I think you look at West Ham away, they went 4-4-2 uh, with a diamond in midfield and, and they won that game. There was a few others as well where they did something similar. They've switched to 4-2-3-1 during the course of a game. But as I said, I think this is something that they want to do, something that they will be doing next season. And now that they've got more players back available in key positions, I think it's something that they should be able to, to sort. Of course, you've seen Mohamed Salah play down the middle loads of times. I mean, you've, you've seen that when you know, Shaqiri's come in, whether he's there next season, I don't know. But there will be other players who can do certain jobs. So I do think that there will be 
tactical changes, but I just don't see it being three at the back. Yeah, Theo, in terms of that then, we, we also sort of got a question on uh, Facebook in the, the Blood Red Podcast Facebook group from Jesse Farmer, and he sort of was asking the same sort of thing, but the reason he was asking was due to the opportunity of having Trent and Robbo play as wing-backs. I suppose maybe the answer is that they already kind of do operate like that, and certainly when Fabinho's in the side, he's sitting just in front of a back two effectively kind of gives that shield already. Yeah, and don't forget there's Virgil van Dijk as well. Like You have van Dijk and Fabinho, and it's almost like they're two players. They cover so much ground in between them. Uh, Jurgen Klopp has always liked his full-backs to get that far forward, and it was only really when the defence was letting the side down before van Dijk came in that he had to step away from that when they were having like Joe Gomez on the right, and it had become a back three covering that line with only one of the full-backs going forward. But ever since van Dijk's come in, it has been the full-backs getting that far forward, getting the crosses in. And it has been such a success for Liverpool for so long. The only reason it wasn't last year is because for so long they had to have Fabinho in out of position when he wasn't injured and because of Van Dijk missing. In terms of them being natural wing-backs, well, we certainly know Andy Robertson can do it. He's been doing it for Scotland for however long and he's had a great Euros. I know Liverpool staff were saying they were surprised at how well he's been playing, how fit he has been considering how much he has played this season. With Trent, I suppose there's there's a bit more of a question mark because whether you believe it or not, there is always going to be that cloud over him of how good is his defending. Uh, all of us on this podcast think all the criticism he gets elsewhere is completely over the top and he is a perfectly solid defender, but teams do still target him. And it's one where like, if you look at England, when they play with the five at the back, Southgate never really fancied him as that wing back. It's always Rhys James they talk about as being that option as a right wing back. And Trent, when I've seen him in that uh, full position for England, he's always he always seems more comfortable in a back four. But then that's just because it's what he's used to. And like Rob, Andy Robertson is playing this system for Scotland, so he knows what suits him. Whereas with Trent, he's such a talented player. You could put him in any position, any formation, give him time, and he would settle in it. So if it was one where Liverpool wanted to play three at the back with the wing backs, and you gave Trent a good season in it, I'm sure he'd become the best right wing back in the world because he essentially does that anyway without that prote uh, protection. It's just getting used to it. But as Doyley said, Klopp's very happy with his four at the back. Before the injuries, it was the same back four in the goalkeeper every week. And that, I think everyone was quite happy with that being the case. It's uh, up further in the pitch that you want that rotation. So hopefully these injuries are behind them now and they can spring the odd surprise, but it'll be players in their preferred positions doing the business. Yeah, second part of Jesse's question, Matt, was about sort of the mobility of the sort of three centre-halves that Liverpool could perhaps choose. If we're going to say they're not going to do that, but Ibrahim Akanate coming into the, the side. And I just wonder, sort of thinking sort of on our feet in terms of who might be Jurgen Klopp's first choice as a back two next season and kind of, I suppose, in a way, he's pecking order for his centre-halves. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends, firstly, on the fitness of Van Dijk and Gomez. If they're both at 100%, I would imagine, if it's possible for them both to, to start the, the next season alongside each other, I'm sure they will do that. Obviously, Konate is there and he's partly an option for the future, partly one to, to sort of bed in. But I think in an ideal world, we've seen it plenty of times with Liverpool signings in the past, even when they come in for a significant amount of money, it kind of takes them a little bit of time to get used to the system, to get used to the way that Liverpool play compared to their previous clubs. And I think we will see that with Konate in, in the first few months of, of next season. Obviously, as I say, there is still that unknown over Gomez and, and Van Dijk. Obviously, 
if they're fit, they'll play. But I think there'll be a, a bit more rotation there than, than maybe we've seen with those two in the past, just to make sure that they are managed. But yeah, I think there'll there'll be opportunities for for all of them. But I think as it stands at the moment, Van Dijk and Gomez to me would would be the obvious two. I mean, just in, in terms of that back three, I think you do sometimes see it. I think we've seen Wolves do it. We've seen Tottenham do it, where they sort of switch between a, a three, sometimes a four. I think with Liverpool. It, it's probably slightly more sophisticated in the way that they do their 4-3-3. I think it sort of takes a bit more from each player to to play their role in a, a sort of perfect way. I think it would be slightly more difficult for, for Liverpool to, to switch between those two formations week in, week out. I think if they were going to go to a three, they would do that full time. But, you know, as the, the lads have said, it's it's almost impossible to, to see that happening. So, yeah, I think it will, will be a four. And I think Canate will have... Probably a start on the bench next season, um, but then obviously looking to, to get chances and, and work his way up to full fitness himself, of course. Obviously not played a huge amount for, for Leipzig over the last few months, so there is still a slight question mark over him as well. But yeah, I'm sure he'll get chances, but I think still the, the top two, I think, would obviously be, be Gomez and Van Dijk and Joel Matip in there as well. So it could be a, a strength for Liverpool with all those players. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. That's formations done. Then on to transfers. That's what everyone loves to always ask us about. Doily Lee on Twitter says, what do you think of the Kinsley Coman link? This was something really that sort of um, really came alive yesterday in terms of reports in Germany saying that Liverpool are very interested in the, the Bayern Munich winger. What are you going to tell us? Um, well, um, I have to use my words carefully here because people listen to this podcast and they, t- and they take everything that we say and use it on their own little uh, little pages. Anyway, um, as far as were, I'm going to say were as I me, uh, are aware that I think it's with Coleman, it's one of these ones where possibly is obviously a player that Liverpool are aware of, but it seems more the the rumours and the speculation is coming from whether it's from his representatives, his end, Bayern Munich trying to drum up some interest in terms of trying to get a fee for him if, they, if he decides that he wants to leave. It seems to be more that than anything else. I think, uh, as I say, Liverpool, whether or not they, I think Theo wrote it last week, whether or not they bring in a forward depends on whether or not they sell some forwards. And that's not a sell-to-buy initiative. It's purely on based on numbers. I mean... I think Liverpool, I wrote at the weekend, that they're expecting Lazio to come in with a with an offer for Shaqiri. Um, they have had contact from them, but there's been no actual offer yet as such. And I think Liverpool at least want the money back that they paid for, for Stoke, £13 million, wasn't it, three years ago? Which And he's still got two years left in his contract, which means that he'd, you know, there's no reason for them to offer it, you know, to accept any kind of lower fee, especially when you look at the way that you know, he did well, or he's been doing well for Switzerland at the Euros. I mean, we're recording this, what, just before they're about to play France tonight. So he'll probably get injured or something, nonsense like that. I'm totally ruined what I'm about to say. But the point being is that Liverpool, you look at Minamino, you look at Origi, you look at Shakiri, those three players, Liverpool aren't actively looking to sell them. But if somebody comes in with a good bid, I think Liverpool might think, well, we could possibly allow them to go if the player wants to go as well. And then you are looking at, you need some numbers in. And you got Harvey Elliott is somebody that Liverpool like a lot. And I know a lot of some fans, I should say, got really upset when I suggested that Liverpool might want to use him next season and go, oh, wow, can we can't buy a £50 million forward? Well, they may end up buying somebody anyway. But Harvey Elliott is now seen as an option up front. And if you do get rid of 
or, or Sal Shakiri, Minamino Rigi, two of those, you're going to have to replace them. And they've already got somebody. You don't forget they did buy for, I think, what was the tribunal at the end? I think it was three and a half, four million. I can't quite, it probably wasn't even that much, to be honest. Um, but it wasn't a lot of money. And that's somebody they've got a lot of, lot of faith in. They want to see how he's going to do next season. So these, these players need to be given a chance at some point. But I think if Liverpool are to bring it forward, as, as I've said, is that it will be because there are players who've left. Now, if you ask me whether or not they should bring one in anyway, I think they should. But then I'm not in charge of the recruitment team and all the money. Oh, what a shame. Uh, four point, <laughs> Can you four imagine? Point, <laughs> yeah, 4.3 million the year. Uh, that would be the first thing you'd do. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're retiring. You can't write about them anymore. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Theo, I sort of take it on to the, the next step. Hader has also been in touch on, on Twitter and says, Coman or Rafinha? I suppose this is fantasy realm now. Of, I suppose if, if you could pick one of those for Liverpool to really chase down on this summer, who would you who would you go at? I have to think which Rafinha then for a minute. I thought you meant Thiago's brother. No, not Thiago's brother. <laughs> yeah, no. Leeds. Leeds. Um, it, it's a difficult one because they're both quality players. But with Rafinha, it's a case of you've got Mohamed Salah. He's not granted he's played a lot on the left for Leeds, but if he was at Liverpool, he's you're going to play him on that right, aren't you? He's going to be that right footed forward cutting inside. And it's like Liverpool don't need that player, they've got Mohamed Salah doing there. And even if you're of the belief that he might leave in a year, two years' time, and Liverpool want to sell him for top coin, um, he's still there. <laughs> you're not going to get someone to be in that star uh, position now, and you, you've still got. Harvey Elliott, who Doyle's just said, they've got a lot of time and they've got a lot of faith in. They wouldn't have signed him if they didn't think he could be this long-term option. Having had his year on loan at Blackburn and doing so well, there was obviously going to be the plan for him to come back, learn a bit more from Salah, work closely from him and see if he can be that long-term replacement. Whereas with Coman, he's one where he's had, he's had his injury problems. He's not really ever been a first-choice player for a whole season for any of the teams he's played for or for France, even though he's won trophy after trophy. Um, <laughs> ideally, neither, get Mbappe out of the two. I lean towards Coman, I think, just because he's more of that A-list name. But this one where there's not much between them. Like, I can't see Liverpool going for either of them this summer, to be honest. Yeah, Matt, what do, what do you make of it? And I suppose with Coman, he, he comes, I suppose, with that track record like Thiago did of basically winning the league every season, but that because he's at Bayern Munich. Yeah, I think, to be honest, the, the link to me, it kind of seems like it's more a case of the players maybe trying to, to get a move. We see it so often with Liverpool, don't we? Players or probably their agents more than the players themselves tend to try and attract the interest of, of Liverpool, of Manchester United, because they know that it can kind of drive up fees. It, it can sort of do things behind the scenes. It could be a new contract. It could be that he's looking for a new challenge and, and wants to move to the Premier League. I mean, he is obviously a very experienced player. He's won things. He, he would come in with a track record, as you say, of, of being a top player. But I don't know. It, it, it sort of strikes me as being a little bit obvious for Liverpool. I think he's already probably one of those that you could have at least at some stage over the last couple of seasons, maybe not now, but certainly at times have described him as a world-class player. I think, you know, for Liverpool, they tend to, to go for somebody who's a little bit more under the radar. So I don't know. I think we're, I suppose you could say the same with, with Rafinha, couldn't you? Obviously played in, in the Premier League with Leeds. He would demand a, a huge amount of money. I think both of them to me seem 
a little bit too obvious almost. I think Liverpool might go for somebody slightly uh, slightly different to, to the pair of them. But I think, you know, the, there's obvious sort of attractions with, with both of those players. And if Liverpool were to get one of those in, I think it would certainly improve uh, their forward options. There's no doubt about that. And yeah, the, the, there is something to be said for, for bringing in proven quality who's played for, for one of... Or, two or three of, of the biggest clubs around Europe. But I think, you know, we obviously saw that with Thiago last summer, but that does tend to, to sort of be a, a one-off thing for Liverpool. I don't think it's something that we necessarily would see in every single transfer window. OK, Matt, you said there that maybe they, they might do, not do something maybe all too obvious. What about these reports with Porto, Brazilian attacking midfield player? We're back in this realm. Otavia, um, yeah, a lot of sort of rumours coming out regarding him and a potential... Uh, release clause what do you make of that yeah I mean I suppose without having seen him play before or know very little about him it does sort of make sense in the sense of it not being a name that necessarily you would automatically think would be linked with Liverpool so as I understand that the, the story in Portugal is that that there is this 40 million euro release clause but this uh, release clause expires in two days' time. So if Liverpool are going to use this release clause, it has to be, according to uh, Portuguese outlets, um, it has to be done in the next couple of days. So I think, again, could this be the work of an agent who knows that this release clause is going to increase? I think it goes up to, to 60 million euros after this. If that is true, could it be a case of an agent trying to put Liverpool into the mix to try and get one or two other clubs to come to the table and, and get that quite possibly? So, yeah, time will tell whether that is one that, that Liverpool are interested in. But, yeah, the, the story is essentially uh, from Portugal um, that they believe that there's this release clause in place. It's got to, to sort of come into effect in the next 48 hours or so. So there's kind of this reported race against time. Jurgen Klopp apparently is in love with the player and, and loves him. Obviously, we know that that's not quite how Liverpool's uh, recruitment works. They don't just sort of go, who do you want, Jurgen? Oh, yeah, we'll take him. It's slightly more refined than that. But uh, yeah, we, we will see what happens in the, the next few days and, and weeks regarding an addition. But uh yeah, it, it kind of makes sense in the sense that it's a player that Liverpool probably would look at. It's not an obvious link and there is a release clause. But other than that, I have to be honest, I've never seen him until a few uh, days ago. I hadn't even heard of him. So uh, I can't really tell you too much. <laughs> what an admission. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say, you you said the, the recruitment team's a lot more refined than that. If Doyley was in charge, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, right, Doyley, I'll come to you for the for the next one. Questioning on Twitter, are Liverpool signing a midfielder? Straight to the point? Oh, straight to the point? I don't know. Um, <laughs> and the reality is, the reality is, I'm not sure, entirely sure Liverpool know whether they will or not. They'll know whether they want it. And I would imagine, actually, to be fair, if the right deal comes up, I think they probably will. But it's about the right deal, isn't it? I mean, we've, we've, we mentioned uh, just before we came, we recorded, we mentioned, went through a number of players and Florian Newhouse, have you ever pronounced it? Newhouse, that's the one. Newhouse in, in German, that is. You'd never have guessed, would you? No. Um, the... <laughs> the uh, they did have the option, didn't they? Or all the clubs had the option of triggering his, re his release clause and they chose not to do that. He, he was someone they looked at for a couple of months. But obviously, with Brushing Munch and Gladbach now, they've got they've got freedom to ask for whatever they want. So I would imagine they, they'd want more than what the release clause is. Otherwise, they wouldn't have even put that in there, to be honest. So he's an example of a player that they were looking at. So that suggests that they are looking. But whether or not they actually decide upon 
buying one is something completely different. It will have to be the right deal. It'd have to be the right type of player, the right profile. You look at someone like Ronaldo Sanchez and you think, well, he's somebody who undoubtedly a good player, but he'd be coming into a squad and he would be fourth or fifth choice midfielder, wouldn't he, if everybody's fit? Because, you know, Fabinho, Henderson and Thiago, you would assume are the, are the three who would play. I mean, there was only... Pretty sure I'm right in saying this, but ask me because I've actually wrote it. But there was only <laughs> there was only a, there was only one game last season where Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago, and Wijnaldum were all fit, available to play in midfield at the start of a game, and the, that was the derby at Everton. And obviously Van Dijk got injured, and then Fabinho had to go to it. So obviously it was only this one game all season, and it was Wijnaldum who was on the bench. So those three were seen as the first choice, whether it was just for that game or, or I don't know, but the fact that it was a big game and a big away game, that those three were the ones, you would assume that's the way forward Liverpool are going to look at it start the season. So going back to someone like Sanchez, he'd, he'd come in and think expect to be playing all the games. It's whether or not Liverpool can afford to bring in somebody like him for that status. And then if he comes in on big wages, the rest of them are going to go, hang on a minute, we've been here quite a while. We quite like... You know, I've been playing for X amount of years. I want a little bit more money. So there is that that has to be taken in consideration. It's not just buying this big name player, whether or not they've got the funds or not. So it's that kind of balancing act. But you've got to bear in mind that Thiago came in last year and when Eldon didn't go. Now, you might say Lallana went, but Curtis Jones replaced him. So in terms of actual numbers, Liverpool have got loads of central midfielders. I think it's seven, isn't it? Seven or eight. So... In that respect, they're fine, but it's they don't really have somebody who's a, who's like one Al who can do certain roles, who can who's got that energy to get around. Probably Curtis Jones, you might say, but he doesn't have the experience of a one Al himself. So that's the kind of player if they were looking to bring somebody in, that that's who it would be. But as Matt said before, it's not going to be up the top level because Liverpool tend not to do that. It would be somebody you know bubbling under someone like. Oh, hang on, I'm, should I mention any names? Should I mention any names because I'm just going to get quoted on them. Someone like Basuma, he's one. He would kind of fit that particular profile. And the lad from Ajax, is it who I can't pronounce? What's his name? Gravenberg. Yeah. So they fit the profile. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be joining Liverpool. But that's the kind of profile of play you can expect Liverpool. If they are going to bring in a midfielder, that they're going to sign. But you would think that just from absolutely everything that they've done in the past and, and what they have available at the moment. But... Uh, as we've said, what happens if somebody comes in and offers a load of money for, say, Naby Keita? And suddenly the whole thing changes. So we can't come out two days before the window officially opens for you know for overseas transfers and, and say Liverpool are going to do X, Y and Z because it can all change in the next two months. But that, as far as we're aware, is that are they going to sign a midfielder? They might do. Are they looking at midfielders? Yeah, they are. Um, but is there a guarantee they're going to get one in? No. Great stuff. Right, final transfer question then, Theo. comes to you comes from our YouTube community page, and it's, who's the player you'd sign if you were the manager? Um, Kylian Mbappe, next. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's very easy to just choose, like, probably the best player, it, or who will be the best player in the world. When Ronaldo and Messi call it a day, you'd imagine it's going to be Mbappe right at the very top. I, I fancy him over Erlen Haaland. Granted, he's not quite exposed him to the Euros just yet. But we all know what a quality player he is. We know he's going to be at the very top of the game for a decade at least here. So, yeah, just if we've got the money, Kylian Mbappe. But we, we know it's not going to happen. Not yeah, anytime soon, to. anyway. Can't <laughs> wait for that story to come can, out. Can we answer? Can we answer? Can we answer? Yeah, go on then, Doyley. Go on. Yeah. Mbappe. <laughs> <laughs> Mbappe or Haaland. 
I, I just no. and also also I don't I think Ronaldo is probably I'm not going to say he's finished, but I think he's kind of I would be surprised if he just says I've had enough of this once he gets that international goals record. Yeah, he's yeah. not been great at the Euros, has he? I know he's got his he goals. Didn't run. But... Didn't run. He's got yeah. his penalties. He got Bruno Fernandes on the bench. That's what he did. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Proved, proved Doyle's point of Fernandes not being world class, eh? <laughs> uh, there we go. Right, Matt, full house. Yeah, well, why not? Um, in terms of in terms of the realistic ones, I think Florian Neuhaus seems to make a bit of sense. Again, I've not seen loads and loads and loads of him, but from what I have seen, he, he kind of makes sense. And sort of stylistically, I think that is one. But as Doyle said before, you know, the, the release clause is not there anymore. Possibly if Liverpool were going to do that, would they have done that already? Possibly, I do think that. But uh, yeah, in terms of, of realistic ones, I think he'd be one of those on my list. But put it this way, whoever Liverpool pick, they know far more than I do. Telemans. I'd say Telemans if you're going for a realistic one. I really like him. And anyone who does back heels in his own penalty area like he did last night with about three minutes to go when Belgium were getting absolutely battered by Portugal. You know, that's the kind of mentality that you need at a top team. Would he yeah, not cost you... like 70, 80 million though? Is he, is he realistic? Of course, of course he's realistic. Plays for Leicester. Well, how, much, <laughs> how much would they ask? They, they got 85 million for Harry Maguire. Yeah, that was yeah, United. But... Come on. And that was before. Also, he's English, and he's English as well. Yeah, he's English as well. So the English premium. I still think they'd want seventy million from. See, I'm sure your realistic ones, Kylian Mbappe, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm tempted to just say Coutinho to see Doyle's vein pop out of his head. <laughs> I don't really know realistic wise because they're not really being linked with anyone you think oh they desperately need just because they've got the squad in place at the moment like they they needed the centre-back and that's why they blew most of the initial money they had left on the centre-back they've got Canate and now everything else will just rest on how the squad goes moving forward who they can offload if they get sufficient fees for players like when we were saying last summer Gruwich, Shakiri, Harry Wilson, we were talking, what, 20 million for them, 25 million. And that's been the case for two years. And now the pandemic and everything, they've had to drop that price to 13, 15 million. So it's going to have to be a case of just seeing what they can bring in and then what they can do. But it's one where they've already addressed what they absolutely had to do in the squad. And it's one where if the season started tomorrow and no bids came in, apart from the fact the squad would be horribly unfit without a pre-season, um, they'd be happy with the players they've got at disposal. Like you don't need to replace a Harry Wilson, for example, when he's not in the squad. They've got the options there. It's just what moves on and what you can upgrade on. And until those players move on and you know the money they've got coming in, you can't really choose a realistic option to replace any of them. That's so, the yeah, thing Mbappe. That, that's the thing, sorry, that's the thing that Liverpool have done, that, that, that Liverpool have got in common with City and United in the, in the transfer window, where they've all got three obvious situations that they need to address. Liverpool was sent about, they did it straight away. Uh, uh, Tottenham. Uh, City's is um, striker, and obviously they're going to try and go for Kane. And United's is a right right winger, right attacker. And they're going for Sancho. So, in that sense, all three of them are doing the same. And if Arsenal were, were going for it, you'd have to get rid of most of your team, wouldn't you? Already are. Already are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's a player we've not been linked with yet, but anyway, we are talking <laughs> Liverpool. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Got a, a contract one here. Doyle, I'll come to you. It's from our mm. YouTube community page. It says, will Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino be kept on beyond the end of their current contracts? What do you think? Well, my answer to that would probably be yeah. What's the point in getting rid? Certainly, certainly Manic. There's absolutely no reason for that. I mean, I can see why some people might say Firmino, where he's not in the last six, 12 
possibly even 18 months being quite the same player and as effective. But going back to what I said a, a little while ago, how much of that has been down to the fact that the whole team has had to not be quite as set up the way that it, it, it normally has been because of the centre-back situation? I mean, we'll only know over time. I mean, obviously, I do think that Firmino has you know, possibly gone beyond his peak. But in terms of his actual pace, he never had any anyway, did he? His, his actual skill on the ball and, you know, his, his mind, all of that's just exactly the same. So I don't see any reason why they'd want to get rid. I mean, and even last season, you still had teams who were, who were talking about when Firmino played against them up front and who's played in that kind of number nine position and how they'd never played against someone like him before because he just does stuff that the normal number nines just don't do, which obviously his critics would say, yeah, he doesn't put the ball in the net, but that's not just what he's about. You know, that's why Mane's there. That's why Salah's there. Yeah, no, okay, fair enough. Uh, Theo, what's your take on that one? Um, it's one where with Sadio Mane, uh, if Liverpool want to move on at some point, you let him go before the end of the contract so you can bring in maximum money. It's the same for Mohamed Salah. But with Nino, it feels like it's in a bit of a different boat, isn't it? Like There's never the same reported interest in him. There's never that same high fee on him. But I think the market is very difficult at the moment because if we hadn't had the pandemic and the fees were still as high as you'd expect in, like we had Neymar and Mbappe and they were just rising with gradual what you expect in football, maybe teams would have been putting in these mad bids for a Salah or for a Mane. But instead, you've got a load of top players that can't really move anywhere because the clubs can't afford them. Like we've seen how desperate Barcelona have been to try and bring in players and now they're having to resort to free transfers. It's why there's no obvious place for where Mbappe would go anytime soon, why Neymar's had to sign a new contract. Uh, for me, no, it's interesting to see what they could do with him because you might say, fair enough, you don't want him as your number nine anymore because he's not getting enough goals. But he's always been a versatile player. He doesn't have the pace to go out wide. But he started his career as a centre-back. I'm not saying playing him there, but I, I could see him playing in midfield. Like You think of Wayne Rooney when he lost his pace a bit. He wasn't being as much of a goal-scoring threat. He went into central midfield and he was dictating play. Such a good pass to the ball. Firmino's more mobile than Rooney ever was in that stage. But he could do that midfield role. Or he could be a number 10. They've got so many options for what they can do with him there. And with Sadio Mane, it's a case of keep him for as long as he's got the pace. You keep him for as long as he's got that mobility, that killer instinct. Because I'd say last year was more of a blip from him than sort of a natural decline. Now, we could be... Six months down the line, it's Christmas and the two of them are still struggling and it's you just sell them for what you can get. But the guys behind the scenes at Liverpool will know far more about it than we will. They'll know whether they've still got it in their legs, whether they can still ha- carry on at the top level. Like Remember when Fernando Torres left and everyone was shocked at that? Like Obviously, he'd had a, a poor few months under Roy Hodgson, but for £50 million, it still seemed a bit less. But then Liverpool medical staff and everyone behind the scenes knew he was on the decline. He didn't have that pace anymore. And it was the perfect deal for them at the perfect time for the perfect fee. So it's just what it looks like behind the scenes for them. When If you need to sell a Mane or a Firmino, what is best for the team going forward? If you're in a situation where you can go and improve on them going forward, if you've got the money to bring in that big replacement. And as it stands, unless you're going for an Mbappe or a Haaland or someone like that, you're not really going to improve on this front three. Because granted, Jota came out from absolutely nowhere and was a great option. And he has broken it up to an extent. It's still one where if Liverpool were playing in the Champions League final tomorrow, he wouldn't start over any of them for me. It would be your traditional front three. Despite a few dodgy months last year, a few dodgy games last year, they are still the best front three in Europe for me. 
Okay, yeah. On that point you make about Diogo Jota then, Matt, we've got uh, sort of our penultimate question then. It says, with Firmino having a poor season last time, would you replace him with Jota for next season? What's your take on that? A, was Firmino all that bad? And B, is Jota the ideal person to go through the middle or would you prefer him off the left? Um, well, I'm going to kind of sit on the fence in this, in that I think that all four of them will be hugely important. And that was kind of the reason that Diogo Jota came in, wasn't it? That you can play with all four at the same time if you need to, or if it's a three, then one of them comes off the bench. And I think it will be pretty similar, to be honest, to, to what it was last season when Jota, um, Mane and Firmino were all fit in that it will be Mohamed Salah plus two of those. And which two that is, I think, will depend game by game. That's the beauty of, of having the extra bit of quality there. And if Liverpool bring in another one to put into the mix as well, which potentially they could do before the end of, of the summer transfer window, that would just increase that. You've got Harvey Elliott to come into that as well. But I don't know, if you, if you were going to pick a front three, I think Diogo Jota would probably be in mind for, for some games and, and not for others. I think Roberto Firmino is is very useful, for example, in an away game in a big European tie. He can sort of win the ball back. He can keep hold of it when you need him to a little bit better than Diogo Jota can. But let's say you're at home to, to West Ham or Crystal Palace or Newcastle or someone like that, maybe then it's the other way around and, and maybe then you play Diogo Jota. So I think both of them will be hugely important. And I think the biggest thing really is that they they keep all four of those players fit because I think what we saw last season was, you know, Sadio Mane in particular looked really, really down on the season before. And I think that was just fatigue and, and tiredness. I'm sure he will improve going into next season. But I think the biggest way that Liverpool can make sure that that happens is that all four of those players are fit they can rotate, they can have a rest when they need to. And if it's, you know, 2-0 to Liverpool with half an hour left, suddenly you can look to, to make a few of those changes. So I think that will be the, the crucial thing. It's it's not really one or the other, it's both. But yeah, it's hard to, to say your first choice front three without then, you know, aligning that with a particular fixture, I would say. Okay, it's difficult to predict what's sort of going to be the, the lineup or transfers for next season, given the, the window for foreign signings hasn't even started. Let's throw some predictions in for the season as a whole, shall we? Yeah, what? That's, that's what our final question is. <laughs> yeah. Is there a way to this season <laughs> technically finished yet? <laughs> no, it's not, but we've got one in here. It's still going on. My we've season's still one. ongoing. I'm at a game tomorrow. Uh, exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, we've got a question, so we're going to answer it. With Man City getting stronger, do you think Liverpool can win the Premier League? Oh, wow. Whoa, 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 what fans have you done? Don't sound anymore. Yeah, well, I, I'm uh, doily. Question <laughs> come in. I'm reading them out. It says with Man City getting stronger, they plan to get stronger. We we know that much at least. But but also it is a question that was brought up. We discussed it at length on Friday. Man City, this idea of them trying to turn the Premier League into a Bundesliga type thing with with them playing the role of Bayern Munich and winning it every year. But uh, doily, in minute, terms of yeah, was it was it Theo bringing that up? That sounds like a Theo thing to say. Nothing. Was it? No, it was, it was Mr. David Lynch. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, oh, it was, yeah. Sorry, I massively offended you there, Theo. I'd like to apologise. <laughs> should not be compared to David Lynch in any way, shape, or form. Sorry. <laughs> well, anyway, right. Oh, Sorry, I'll let you kick us off with this one. Um, predictions towards next season: Are Liverpool going to be there or thereabouts in the running? Uh, yeah, as they. Would have been, well, they were for half a if you forget that they were for half a last season, they were top at Christmas, weren't they? So, you know, they, they were still there and they finished third, only five points behind the greatest Manchester United team in the history of teams. 
Apparently. And that's the about. So you've done yeah. the there and you've done the about. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, I would, let's put it this way. I would be absolutely amazed if they're in another struggle to finish in the top four. Let's put it that way. Uh, but yeah, you're right. City are going to be strong. United will be stronger. But okay, United will have different difficulties because all the fans are coming back. Hopefully. We have to assume that they are now, to be fair, let's be honest. Um so it's going to be a little bit, you know, it's going to revert a little bit to the norm. I don't think we're going to be having loads of away wins. I think it's it's going to be interesting. Chelsea, we haven't mentioned Chelsea, they're the Champions League winners, you know. So they're obviously going to do, you know, do better certainly in the league than they did. But I still think it's Liverpool and City, isn't it, with United and Chelsea just slightly below them. I think for next season. Matt, you sat on the, you sat on the fence with your last answer. Can Liverpool win it next season? Yeah, hundred percent they can. I think Liverpool. Um, and Manchester City, as Doyle said, will be the sort of definite sort of two that you would expect. But I think Chelsea could be slightly stronger than, than maybe what people think as well. I think they were probably slightly better. Certainly they were better under Thomas Tuchel. Obviously, he'll have had a summer of pre-season. Again, you'd imagine that they'll spend quite heavily. They've not done a huge amount so far, I don't think, have they, in the transfer window or anything like that? There doesn't seem to be a huge amount of, of links with them, but I'm sure if they can get... No, uh, certainly if they could get a, a striker in who could get them, say, 20 goals and obviously do what Timo Werner couldn't. Even Timo Werner next season, I think, will be improved. Kai Havertz, I think, will be improved. I think he got better as the season got on. And I think Chelsea will, will be right up there in terms of, of making it possibly for, for most of the season at a three-horse title race. Even Manchester United, I think Jaden Sancho, I know they've dragged it out now over two summers. It does look like that is eventually going to get done. I think if that happens, that could you know, really be a, a big thing for him. I know Gareth Southgate obviously hasn't seen much of him over in Germany, but he has been absolutely fantastic over there. So I think if if he can sort of bring that to, to England, that would be you know a huge, huge thing for, for them. So I think there'll be a few contenders, but I think Liverpool 100% will be one of them. Yeah, I asked Matt if Liverpool can win it. He says 100% they can. Theo, you're a man for bold predictions. Will Liverpool win it? <laughs> if Manchester City sign Harry Kane, no. Uh, I reckon if they, they sign, not the Harry Kane that's playing at the Euros, the Harry Kane that was playing for Tottenham last year and a poor Tottenham last year, setting up goals and scoring goals every week, he is what that side needs. Uh, last season, they were the best team in England by far. They're winning games comfortably by far. And that was without a striker. Uh, you put Harry Kane in that team and it's going to be like when United signed Van Persie. It's not going to be a long-term signing for them, but you, two years, he'll get the goals and it will probably be the difference in a title race, which is why they want him. Um, but then if, if they don't sign Harry Kane for whatever reason or if Liverpool just do what they did the last couple of years before the pandemic and just hit the ground running, everyone's on top form, they're avoiding the injuries, they're going to be right up there. But my gut feeling, if... Harry Kane is signed. That that is the the signing City need to just make the difference. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that transfer in 2012. The the little boy and me (laughs) screaming out to end this podcast now. So let's crack on and do that. My thanks goes to Ian Doyle, Theo Squires and Matt Addison. This has been the Blood Red Podcast. Until next time, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.